Hi, and welcome to the Productize Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find the Productize Podcast from your favorite podcast player app, and you can subscribe from there. This is our show where we talk with productizers and innovators and cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you. Welcome to Productize Podcast, Productize Talks. My name is Andrea Marquez and I will be your co-host today along with special co-host Arno Breton. And we, are, we were supposed to be in the same studio today. Um, but we have been grounded due to the current lockdown in both countries, Portugal and, and France, uh, or to be more, more precise, Lisbon and Paris. Um, and, um, yeah, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Arnaud. So Arnaud Breton is from Paris, France, is a principal product manager at a company called Screen, and he's ensuring product strategy uh, aligns with the company um, and is also animating the product management chapter, uh, providing guidance to other product managers, designers, working in different product squads. He's also bootstrapping the new Observe product line. He's a very passionate about the impact of new technologies on the world with a passion for software development since his childhood. I didn't know that. Uh, and is now capitalizing on uh, what it builds uh, on on building products that are solving fundamental problems. So he started his first company, Unishared Video Notes, in, 20, in 2012, and that was part of the fourth cohort of the Imagine K12 Accelerator based in Silicon Valley. Our guest today is Gonzalo Gayolas, the VP of Product of OutSystems. So Gonzalo, thank you for being with us today. Um, Gonzalo has made customer experience, digital strategy, and software development his specialty. He's obsessed with creating digital experiences for customers that speed up their success using technologies and processing improvement to create leaner internal operations and reimagining the role of the digital uh, in uh, the modern company. In his own words, Gonzalo is part geek, part digital guy, part leader, who likes to work where technology pushes business over the edge and where digital is no longer a service department, but the true leader in the company. Gonzalo joined out systems in 2005. So that was quite a long time ago. Has a software engineer and has since worked in or with almost every team inside the company. And I've seen your LinkedIn. It's quite hectic because you've been all around the company. Um, and for those that don't know OutSystems, of course, OutSystems is a low-code platform which provides the tools for companies to develop and manage omni-channel enterprise applications. The OutSystems platform is designed to dramatically accelerate the deployment of uh, essential application applications while also delivering unprecedented levels of flexibility, enabling customers to develop continuously and evolve their applications as business needs, the technology uh, trends evolve. So um, I might want to start this, but before that, I don't know, do you want to say a couple of words about yourself and about product stories and why we're doing this today? Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks André, for having me first. I uh, wish yeah. I would be with you uh, in a sunny Lisbon, uh, but the COVID decided otherwise. Uh, but uh, until next time, I guess. 
Uh, I think you said it all, but just maybe to talk about product stories. So I'd say we were, we're a smaller equivalent of uh, productize. Uh, we are meetup gathering, uh, product lovers in Paris with a strong focus on stories and experiences. So our goal is not to teach you about something, but invite the best people on a film. Uh, and so I think tonight to talk about everything, no code, low code and the impact on the, the product uh, in the future. Uh, there's no better place to be than uh, being the, with the three of you. So thanks again for having me. Thank you for, for being here with us today. We have like, uh, we were discussing this and how to do this today. So Gonzalo, we will be um, kind of doing this together. Okay. In the beginning, I'll be doing most of the questions, but then uh, Arnaud will probably take it um, uh, from, from then on. So one one of the the, the things that we um, are wondering is we have seen a bunch of your presentations in YouTube and look everybody that I spoke about uh, you and I, I did uh, some you know I, I did query some people uh, you background research me Andre <laughs> I had to do some research and people told me is a is very excited guy is he, he really loves what he does uh, so what drives you what 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 is the most thrilling thing about your job what why why do you have this energy because you know you know it's it's hard to have this energy level especially every single day so how do you have this energy level oh that's a, that's a great question and i'm 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 glad that the 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 thing they shared with you about me uh but uh yes so but before i start and i'll go into that in a second i just want to take a moment to recognize productize i remember when productize came on board as a conference it was very early on i guess even in the whole i'd say the european product management movement uh i wasn't the product manager back then uh but it was already like huh these guys are onto something and i remember us sending people to the conference early on and really uh so just highlighting the effort you guys did to build that community uh, from, from many years ago. So, so congrats on that and on the vision of, of, of doing that. Uh, it's, it's really inspiring. And uh, everybody, every, every time we send somebody to the conference, they come back refreshed, re-energized with a bunch of new ideas and uh, just, you know, with all the good speakers that you guys have. So, so kudos to that and kudos to it for advancing the practice. Um, Back to back to your uh, back to your very interesting opening question around you know what makes me think and uh, what, what what makes me go forward. Um, I I do feel I am a naturally enthusiastic person about the world and in general. I'm very, I, I I like to think of myself as sort of intellectually curious about what makes the world go around and what impact do things have. And I, I my mind is always an overdrive trying to absorb everything that I can. Um, but specifically in my job, I, I guess there are a couple of things that I would highlight. The first one is the, the constant flow of uh, impact that we have in the company and in the space, uh, and the, the, the reach that we have in terms of touching millions of people and, and their lives. And many, many examples from you know, people that changed career because they encountered our system, they were able to increase their livelihood, because now they are, uh, you know, they're, they're a digital maker, they're a new programmer. That's, that's, those are my favorite stories. Really just impacting somebody's life um, really makes me wake up in the morning and just, and just go for it. Um, the second thing is 
or impacting organizations. You, we go into customer advisory councils and, and customers tell us, look, before we used to, literally, I think their words is, before we used to suck. And now we can go into meetings and we can say, yeah, no, we can actually do that thing you're asking. And, you know, we come into the work and we are happy now. And uh, a few week, a few months ago, I had a customer tell us, I used to be Calimero. Uh, we used to be Calimero. So for the ones that don't get the reference, it's an old uh, cartoon, I guess, very European, Italian, I guess, where there's a duck and the duck is always like uh, complaining and whining. And we used to be Calimero and now we are the roadrunner. And when somebody tells you that about the work you're putting out there, like where you essentially transform their lives for the better and they're, they're happier and they're happier as human beings as professional, it's very hard to not be excited. And we have like, you know, thousands of stories like this. So it's very hard not to be excited. And the final thing is, I think, um, in, in the context of where we exist as a company and as our systems, I think we established, we were able to establish a, a really fantastic culture and the, the people we attract, the people we work with, a lot of us doing this for the first time. Like a common theme is a lot of us are doing, are, are trying to solve a problem or are doing a job for the first time or are really do, going where nobody else has gone or very few people have gone. You know, how can you not be excited? Um, and you, you talked about my hectic career path. I don't think I have a career path. I have new challenges and new things I'd like to learn. And uh, that's also a breeze, right? Because every every few years I go to, I go be, go I get to be a, a beginner again, and that's really cool, right? Instead of just being extremely good at one thing, I get to be a beginner at a new thing. Like that is happening with product management with me right now. I am a complete beginner in product management, and I'm learning as fast as I can, and that's exciting. And you're VP of product, so. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's uh, we can talk more beginners, about that. beginner size. I think people always underestimate beginner size. Um, you know, beginner size are such a powerful uh, force of the universe because when you see Absolutely. things for the first time, you don't know what's impossible, right? <laughs> Um, so you you aim for um, impossible sometimes, and that's really refreshing. So yeah. speaking about impossibilities um, or possibilities or the limit of the current possibilities, uh, which are clearly marked by the current situation, um, how, how, how has COVID-19 impacted uh, OutSystems business and, and, you know, IT companies in general don't seem to be, has, has affected, has, you know, um, restaurants and, and, um, and that kind of business. So yeah. um, I guess there's, there's two, two ways to see this question. One is, of course, the business of OutSystems itself, but the other way is how is, is OutSystems le leveraging digital transformation to help companies that are being impacted by COVID and are, do you have do you guys have any specific uh, work and I, I know that you have been very active in some of the the forums in in Portugal uh, especially in the spring um, to crash develop uh, a number of initiatives um, but can you can you can you give us a, a glimpse of what are the current I, initiatives out there yeah absolutely absolutely I mean um First, to say that uh, obviously, as a digital business, we have been uh, fortunately, I would say, and not not nearly as impacted as the the, the uh, healthcare culture, which you know, it's just heartbreaking to see what 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 our 
other our fellows are, are going through. It's very much heartbreaking. It, as a digital business, we see two things. We see in certain areas a tremendous acceleration of demand. People, because think of it this way: the key competitive differentiator of a quote-unquote low-code platform is productivity and speed. Is the, the be able to really be uh, move fast into building these digital things that are unique to you. In this context, it's hard to think of anything that's more important than speed. If you don't have speed, then you're done, right? You're not going to live for the next quarter. So we saw a lot of acceleration in a lot of customers that we used to take, you know, let's take the procurement processes and the buying process of enterprise B2B software would take a while and they're just like accelerating. On the other hand, Autism uh, does business with 23 different industries. We did see industries where some projects and expansions were canceled and we ended up, um, you know, having to to work with those customers to make sure that they continued. But it, it, in a way, uh, we we didn't expand there. So overall, we continue to grow uh, significantly. Um, I would say we were, I'd say I'd say we were positively, to the most part, positively impacted because it just made low code more normal, more 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 um, interesting, if you will, to 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 the world at large. Um, and just just in terms of what we're doing. Uh, to help, I mean, a couple of things. I I am incredibly proud, incredibly proud, really, of the work that uh, our our people ops team has done internally with our internal community and our external community. It's it's been a, a phenomenal um, way. It, we we were so professional in handling people, sending people away, uh, constant communication. It was really a hallmark of a real, very well executed transition. And what that did, interestingly, we did that very early on in, in, in March. They send everybody home, everything just continued to work, no issues. We had a motto that was, whatever worked for you, whatever works for you, works for our systems. And people were like completely blown away by the response of the company. And what that ended up happening was it freed, it freed a lot of mental time for us to be able to help. So in the course of a weekend, over a weekend, we put together what we call a COVID-19 response program for our community where we uh, created sort of a site where people could uh, give ideas uh, to, to, to use our technology. We would sponsor the programs. We would, we would use our network of partners to, to participate. There were many, many things. We launched uh, culture pro programs where peop uh, uh, people could sponsor uh, artists. We did uh, applications for finding what was open at the time. We had a really, really cool project that's still ongoing for mental health. All of that was done not by us. It was essentially because our mind was free from concerns with ourselves and our family, from the way the company treated us. And we immediately pivoted to help our community. And we have a fantastic community of partners and, and developers that took their own time on top of our software and, and, and really made, made, made an impact. So you know, to summarize, I think we've seen positive impact from a business perspective uh, in terms of acceleration of acceptance in digital. And uh, we've we've taken some of that positive impact and sort of doubled down on helping the community whenever we can. Uh, we also uh, just a final example. We also shared every single tool we built internally, things like uh, to control how you go into the office and whether you you can go into the office to book a table. We made that available and uh, as an open source project, and a lot of customers are now taking that and using it on their own um, their own uh, um, sort of workforces. So, you know, all in all, I think we did very well in terms of this. Uh, obviously, we would rather not having to go through this. It's heartbreaking. 
but like most digital companies, we, we did see an acceleration of, uh, of, of demand and acceptance. And what are power users, power users of out systems asking for now? Do you, do you, do you, see, do you see a shift there? Do you see, do you see any um, seismic changes or is it still business as usual? No, I mean, it's a very good question. Uh, so, so a bit of a background history, you know, out systems and low code in general, before low code was a thing, we were always traditionally very good at what we call sort of workflow applications, internal applications, complex, very custom, but mostly internal applications. And for the first, about, I guess, 14 to 15 years of the company, 90% of what we did was that, was those core systems. They're really, you know, you can buy off the shelf. Now, very cool, two very cool uh, things are happening. We're getting used in more and more mission critical systems, mission critical and customer experience, mobile apps, things that are um, five years ago, if I was to tell you, you know, we're gonna be building the, 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 the home banking system for one of the top 10 banks in the world, you would be say, come on, Gonzalo, you know, go. That's, that's never possible. And that is happening now. So on one hand, we're getting pushed to what we call serious applications. That's that's perfect, right? It really aligns with our vision of maximum productivity for those applications. On the other hand, because of the no-code explosion and all of that, like everybody wants to participate, we're also getting pulled to dramatic simplification of the product so, get, we, so that we can get like 10 million people to use the product with two hours of training. So it's, it's very interesting to, to be at the center, at the epicenter of this movement where you're trying on one hand to really compete with enterprise grade mission critical stuff, but at the same time, make, make your products uh, accessible for, for, for all of us. And we're getting asked these two things equally vehemently from customers, right? Um, so it's an interesting product management challenge to have for sure. Yeah, in terms of challenge, well, I guess one of the big challenges right now, you, you have what, 1,200 employees or something like that? Yeah, around that. Mm -hmm. So it, it becomes difficult to innovate with, with so many people. So how does a company your size continue being innovative? That's, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of it comes from being diligent around what are the things that you want to innovate around. I think uh, innovation for, for the sake of innovation is, is quite hard to manage. Uh, we, what we try to do is to be, be very diligent about setting the right vision around which people should innovate for. Meaning, here's our goal. Here's what we want the world to look like in about three years. Now, you, let's the, the way to get there is completely up for people. And just starting at that end game and then working backwards and letting people innovate on the how you get there is a, is a thing that's typically I think typically gets lost in the pressure of very short-term results very incremental things. And, and the, the art of setting these goals is, is super interesting because if you if you set a small enough goal, people will, will do incremental stuff, which is fine. If you have the too far off goal, people will freeze. But setting the right ambition, right? You know, we're gonna go to the moon on this decade. It really sets people on fire. So I think never, that's, that's incumbent on leadership to never let go of this idea of vision. The second thing is more tactical is what systems do you have in place to remove waste? How do you measure goals? How do you and, and meetings that, that eventually crop up? How do you modernize your own legacy, both process, people, and technology, and just diligently have programs to, to 
remove company legacy as a whole, not just on technology, but remove company legacy, diligently working towards thinking of the product of the company as a product, and sometimes paying down the different types of debt that you accumulate over time is critical. So we try to do those things, those two things at, at, at uh, you know as often as possible. But it's hard, man. I mean, when you double the company every two years, it's hard because things that used to work all of a sudden don't work anymore, like overnight. And you have to go fix that. So you spend a lot of time on just keeping up with growth and, and not so much on thinking about the future. So more, more laws apply to company growth. But Gonzalo, what, what's that moon, moonshot vision you have for the next uh, the next big thing for our systems? Um, and, and maybe just um, trying to bridge that with Look, 2005, I, I, I remember OutSystems maybe the first time, um, actually 2005, because I was working as IT manager for a local company here. Um, so you, you, you were in the company in a very early stage and you've been through lots of, uh, through the evolution of the company, but the vision was, was pretty much there. It was already low code since the beginning. But nobody was was actually talking about low code in 2005, with the exception of you guys. So, in one hand, it seems that the zeitgeist of low code is finally arrived. So you are in the right momentum. The momentum is really cool now. And what, what's how do you see the future? And in retrospect, for this last 15 years, what is the most surprising development you've seen in the industry since you started? Very good questions. So I, my, the first part of my answer might be a little, I don't know, shocking or we don't care about low code. Low code is not the definition of who we are. We don't define ourselves in the context of the category. Okay. Right? Because no, nobody, nobody would say that at least from an external side. Right. No, I understand. I mean, we, we obviously from a messaging and conversational perspective, we use it to our advantage when needed, but internally, when we're thinking about where we want to go next, what we think is, how do we make our customers a hundred times more productive than they are today? Local is one way, again, back to the innovation topic. Local is one way of how we help customers do that. But applying AI to software automation is another way. Fixing the problem of ideation of how, what do I make? It's another way. Uh, inter fixing the problem of the connection between business people and designers and product owners and developers is another way. So we think of all of those as pertaining to our mission of making customers a hundred times more productive. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, it, it would be stupid for us to not ride the wave we, we started, which is this idea of low code. But if you're asking me, you know, what do you think about the next three to five years? We think uh, it's a hundred times more productive for things that matter for really complex, uh, high, uh, high value applications for your, for our customers. The inverse of that is we don't want to be the platform where you build all of your personal little things. And, you know, we have billions of users, but everybody's doing things you could do in Excel or whatever. That's not the vision. The vision is how do we get a team, a very diverse team of people coming from all parts of the business? And how do we make this very small team building a matter of weeks and custom built enterprise grade mission critical system? And, and that's it. And, uh, and we're going to use whatever tools we can to do that. We're going to use cloud native architectures. We're going to use low code, no code, even high code if we need it. Although we're not believers in that because it, you know, it reduces the amount of people that can participate in these things. Um, but we're going to use all of those tools 
to help customers be a hundred times more productive than with any alternative that they have. That's the, that's the vision for our systems and it's quite ambitious, I guess. We have a question for that. But where do you expect to, to see the, the next big areas of, of value creation for our systems and which, which areas, which, which sectors, which industry? Um, so we are seeing tremendous impact or tremendous pull from what you would traditionally consider laggard industries. I think I think we're in the sort of in the crossing the chasm model. We're getting to the majority and late majority, where a lot of uh, companies that are traditionally or industries like financial services, for example, which is being completely disrupted, they're waking up and they're becoming software companies. So that's that's certainly speeding up. Healthcare companies as well. Everybody's going literally going zero percent analog. That's what I heard. We heard from a customer the other day. Like we want to go zero percent analog. Uh, we want to do it fast. And, and just helping these companies become 100 times more productive is fantastically in, uh, difficult. A lot of it is because it's not just a technology problem. And that's a whole new podcast. We could, you know, we can see we have great technology. We go into customers. Are we 100 times, are we 100% successful? Well, not, not so much. A lot of the times there are more complex things happening at the customer that like, need to, like to culture, solve. Like what? Culture, legacy. Uh, entrenched other interests uh, that are not necessarily related to the best interests of the company but uh you know it's resistance to change there's a lot a lot of that is going now from a, from an applicability and opportunity perspective i would say and we've we've talk, touched on this we started about three years ago we started on this uh, what we call the outsystems.ai journey and and the original vision was how do we disrupt ourselves so so, so ai is going to come in and you're not going to be building software anymore. That's the future. So how do we how do we make that future happen instead of being disrupted ourselves by it? So we hired the team. They did a lot of underlying research, and now we have two years of research where we're essentially doing really best in class stuff in terms of how do we take AI apply to the problem of 100x productivity by either guiding. Uh, automating or validating every single piece of work you do on the platform so that you don't have to do any boring work and everything accelerates. And I think this is this is going to be the single most important thing we're going to do in applicability in terms of, 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 of the product. And it's really going to help all of these previous com companies I've talked about adopt and expand in the usage of technologies such as our systems in a very, very fast way. Cool. Did I answer your question? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Andre, if you want. No, I think, I think you totally did, yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, you, I think you also have like a couple of questions you want to Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks a lot already, uh, Gonzalo, for the, all the energy. Uh, I can feel the real passion and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and the enthusiasm in everything you say. So that, uh, that convey very well, even over Zoom. Uh, I exactly. think uh, that's a, as a, as Andre mentioned in the intro, as a former software developer, that's a fascinating product for me uh, because I've been struggling to build all those apps that you can click and point to build without system. And I'd love to dig deeper with you into what it means to build a product like that. So uh, maybe to start, do you mind walking us through what is the product organization? What, uh, how is it organized? How many people? Where is it based? Sure, 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 sure. So, so we've, you know, it, 
I firmly, I think we firmly believe that there is no perfect org chart or no perfect organization. And we are, we try to organize around the more critical outcomes for where, where we are. We are. Um, from, from our product perspective, we have a, simply put, we have a, an engineering organization and a product management organization. The product management organization works as the key proxy for the market and the customer. And we're responsible for designing this vision and to uh, really be the representative of the customer uh, in terms of uh, what what gets built, and we work very close, very close in tandem in, in, with, with our engineering organization. We have about um, uh, so we have about twenty something product managers, uh, they, and they are organized around what we call value areas or product areas that are value for our customers. So we have, for example, product management around how our customers do data and integrations. Just that problem, how do you do data integration, requires somebody that really understands the um, understands everything, understands what's the problem space, how people do this in traditional alternatives, how do we make them 100x more productivity in our systems, what is the system's vision for this? Uh, we have other people that do UX, UI, and touch points. So how do you build a UX and UI in a local way? Um, uh, we have people around uh, automation of developers. We have... All of all of these different product areas are, are really really interesting, um, and and they're they're designed to to be really subject matter experts and customer customer proxies in terms of where we are, where we want to go in the next three years. And then on the on the other side, we have our good friends in, in engineering, great team, and what they they organize they typically organize around either outcomes or assets. It depends. We're doing uh, meaning you know you either a, you own a part of the product or you want a specific customer outcome. A customer outcome would be, uh, we want the customer to do an integration in less than 10 minutes. So there's a there's an organization around this idea, this North Star, um, and they self-organize around that, that idea. And, and uh, we have about uh, 200 plus engineers at this point in time with, uh, with, a pro with a UX group, an AI group, uh, all in all totaling around 300 people in, in engineering. And mostly, we used to be a very Lisbon-centered organization, so a lot of people in Lisbon. Uh, we started on the journey of getting more and more people from outside of Lisbon, and now we have a team in the United States. We have people in in, in India. We have people in uh, all over Europe as well, both on product management and engineering. And um, and uh, so yeah, so so that's sort of at the high level of how we are or we are organized. To deliver on this product. Cool, uh, and I guess what's also fascinating, and I can relate uh, from uh, what we do at Screen, is you build the product, but for techies, uh, so uh, not necessarily developers, but uh, at the end you're helping uh, people putting together great application. How do you make sure? So internally, I guess uh, we can talk about a lot of dog fooding. So use, and you mentioned that before, use your own product a lot. How do you make sure? Uh, you mentioned it's two groups already. How do you make sure still that product engineering stay together as one team and build a great product that your customer love at the end of the day? Uh, great, great question. I mean, we have a, a numerous techniques and tools to do that. Uh, obviously, um, from, a, from a, a customer feedback perspective, we have many mechanisms. We have channels like uh, an advisory council. We have a community online where people post ideas and suggestions every single day. We constantly review 
what people are doing from a support ticket perspective. We, we look at online reviews. We aggregate all of that data. We parse that out and we pr process it in, in themes that allows product managers to really sort of understand where the issues or the typical issues are. At the same time, um, from a delivery perspective, we try to be as to do not only dog fooding, but we have a great community of uh, people that have signed up for early access programs and that give us feedback very early on. And we have built in sort of closed loop mechanisms within the product and also telemetry to allow us to get really good data around what's getting used, where are people struggling and, and uh, where, um, you know, where, uh, where we could be, we could do better. Our UX team is also great, and they do a lot of research and interviews, uh, both with current and prospective developers, or or actually the entire personas, right? Because you mentioned like we're not, we are for professional developers as well, but we are also for enterprise architects and application managers and CIOs and CISOs and all of those personas, the products which is ours. We need to understand how they perceive and how you, they utilize and interact with our product. So it's a, it's a relatively complex sort of stakeholder map on the customer side. Cool, thanks. And uh, say after this meetup, uh, really your, uh, your energy conveys super well over Zoom. So I definitely want to be a PM at the Art System. What makes me sure. a great PM at the Art System? What, what should I, who, who is the best person to join your team tomorrow? Great, great question. And I should say, I, I didn't ask Andre if I could say this, but we are actively hiring. <laughs> uh, we who, are who actively doesn't? hiring. <laughs> who isn't, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're a sponsor at Productize, so feel free to talk <laughs> So you kind of figure, figure, figure that out, right? Yeah. No, um, yes. So we, we, are, we are actively hiring. I mean, the, the, the key strategic thing at our systems for a, pro, for a product manager is that you are you, you fully understand the problem space in which you're trying to operate. More so than being a phenomenal product manager, I will talk about that in a second, but we, you really understand the problem space. You're passionate about the problem space. So to give an example, the person that, that's our product manager for data and integrations, he used to have a company, literally, he was a CEO of a company on data and integrations. So, you know, we got him and he, he, he's now, he's essentially running a company that, competes with other companies that do data and integration. So it's the same thing. So you have to be very, very good at understanding that market, understanding the needs and the problem space, and be able to then articulate sort of that product vision and the outcomes that we, we desire in a competitive fashion, articulate that. We put a lot of emphasis on good writing, good communication, good internal and external evangelism. So you need to, you, you do need to be a good communicator. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to, you know, go like to be in front of crowds, but you like, you need to be passionate about communicating clearly and effectively to multiple audiences, external and internal. That is absolutely critical. Awesome. Uh, so I would say two things. It's this idea of being really, really good at, um, at, 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 at the problem you're trying to solve and at being with customers and understanding that, but then translating that in clear communication. One more thing before I forget, uh, there are many, many things that a good product manager needs to do from a technical perspective. Technical as in how do, how do you do actually do product management, the prioritization aspect, negotiation, all of those different things. And we came to the conclusion that it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. It's a new discipline. A lot of us are figuring out we have organizers such as you guys really trying to get to the next level. You know, you write, I read 
I try to read as many books as possible as I was ramping up on the job. People do that all the time, but it's still an art. It, it still feels like an, an, an especially for B2B software. It, it's, it's really a an, an discipline that's in, in its infancy, right? We're creating it from scratch. So for 2021, a key initiative we have at OutSystems and we have at, um, at the product management team is we are going to create a product management academy. And the product management academy is designed to really teach at scale what it means to be a B2B platform product manager. We, 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 we're not happy with any training we've found you know, end to end. So we're going to build that. We obviously want to use that as an attraction mechanism, but as a discipline mechanism for our teams. And we want to share that with the community as much as possible. So if okay. you want to know more, reach out and, uh, you know, we can work together on, on building the next version of the uh, uh, B2B product management. We will, we will reach out Gonzalo. So don't, don't, don't forget about it. For sure. We will. We'll no, do. no, no. You guys already, we already have content from you guys slated into the Product Management Academy, and I'm sure we will have more engagement opportunities because a lot of it is also giving back to the community, right? You can't do this without giving back to the community. At scale, yeah. Oh, that's Absolutely. pretty awesome and uh, that resonates. I, I love the fact that uh, uh, you're taking this seriously because I think there is, so I've been running a few uh meeting for the past week and a lot of people are coming to me with a lot of uh, junior pm challenges and there's a real challenge for us as you exactly said to train the next generation of pm and again Absolutely. it's a young discipline so nobody has a no, no, nobody here has a formal uh training into pm we all got there uh by luck i'd say uh and so yeah that's fantastic to say uh, you're, you're to see you're taking that seriously uh, have you seen good success stories with maybe some engineers turning product manager at the end yes yes we have i would say about 50 percent of our product managers they do come from an engineering background but they're they're very they're obsessed about that that customer outcome they're obsessed about their problem not so much in in, in you know a specific solution but we 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 do see that profile um uh, as as a key profile, I will say that uh, we are not far as far as long as I would like in terms of our diversity journey of actually bringing a, 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 a cognitively diverse set of people to work on this problem. And this is an this is an important aspect for us. So we we believe we believe in this for what we're trying to create in the world. So why not do that ourselves, right? So try to create people that don't, don't necessarily come from an engineering background. So it's not a requirement, but yeah, we see we see engineers in a technical B2B product, specific parts of the product becoming really, really good product managers. Awesome. Ah, it's really, really, really cool. Thanks uh, for opening the, the book. I think uh, for uh, the people who are with us now My and pleasure. the many people who are going to watch back, uh, uh, it's key to it uh, from you first. Uh, maybe let's deep dive now onto uh, how do you see the perfect uh, customer of uh, our system? So you started to touch a bit on that. Who, who's the ideal customer? Is it early stage, late stage, mid stage, rapid prototyping? Like I want to run a new MVP and I should go at our system. What, what's the sweet spot for you for you these days? Right. Now, great question. I'll tell you what's not a good customer for our systems. Two things. One is if you can get access to as many engineers as you want, top talent in the valley, and you're, you're, you, you, don't, you don't have a problem hiring, uh, you don't have any legacy systems, 
uh, you're, you're starting from scratch and you're like, that, that, you're not a good customer for OutSystems, right? If you're Facebook or if you're Google in the early days, or that's not a good customer for OutSystems because these people, they can attract, they don't have any of the problems that 99% of the other companies have, right? The other, the other thing, uh, the other characteristic is if you don't think, if you think you're moving, you know, we're moving just fine and we don't need to go any faster and we can keep saying no to our business and we can keep saying no to, the, to our customers, then you're also not a good customer for OutSystems. What we see as a great customer for OutSystems are people, companies, actually fundamentally in all different, uh, one of the interesting things about OutSystems is it's very broad in terms of the industries, but also sort of the company size. But if you're going through a significant transformation process where parts of that transformation require that you move faster, require that you deliver with quality, that you bring in your business closer to your technology team, even mesh them and fuse them together. Um, and if you have concrete ongoing transformation initiatives, and if you have um, a pressing event, you are a fantastic customer for our systems. Because then that's, you know, and, and a lot of co and companies are in this position. Um, they have, if they've hired the CDO, they've hired the new CIO, or the business is going digital and they have a digital transformation program, which it, it's sort of a keyword, but it's really, really useful because if companies are starting to think through this, it's a good sort of starting point that they're willing to do change and to look at the reality of how they deliver and to fundamentally change it. So, you know, short answer is we believe in a world, in a future where every company is going to become a digital and a software creator. And in that future, there's really no, there's the vast majority of companies will benefit from a platform such as OutSystems. If not us, somebody else with the same principles. And uh, yeah, and I think it's good to, to be reminded because we tend to live in a bubble where we're surrounded by tech all day long and we tend to forget. But I think COVID was a good reminder, but there's still a, Absolutely. a lot of businesses out there which are non-digital and uh, yeah, com oh, a yeah. company like our system uh, will help uh, tremendously. I I'm taking a question from the chat now because I think it's uh, aligned with everything we discussed now. So it's a, a question from uh, Carlos Reich. Am I saying this right? Mm -hmm. uh, who's asking, do you have a, at our system a mission in having more citizen developer or just improving the efficiency of developers by magnitude? So do you have that greater mission to empower any citizen around the world uh, to create application quickly? So our mission is we want to make the entire organization in our customer a hundred times more productive than they are, they are today. When you start to examine that, a key portion of, of, of achieving this mission is to be able to bring in people that are either sitting in the business or close to the business, closer to the process of creating technology, creating something from scratch, being, becoming makers. Now, I will say, I don't personally enjoy the term citizen developer. Do you know anybody that self-identifies as citizen developer? They're like, yeah, I am a citizen developer. That's not what people want to do. The reason you call yourselves, or the reason IT calls it a citizen developer, this is actually what the analysts call it. It's, a, it's sort of an analyst construct. But people don't think of themselves as citizen developer. They think of, I have a problem. I need to fix my problem. I want to be autonomous. Let's me, let me do that. If you're thinking about two orders of magnitude, 100 times more productive, there is no way we're not going to make existing professional developers much faster and really focusing on people that want to be professional. They want to do 100% of their work in building great applications. 
but at the same time, bringing in uh, the business people. Maybe they're collaborating in ideation. Maybe we have, so we, for example, we launched a tool called Experience Builder. Experience Builder is designed for the developer and the business person to sit side by side and to ideate in 30, second, 30 minutes to one hour on what the app is gonna look like. And then the developer takes that, gets an out systems application and runs with it. Is this citizen developer? Well, not in the typical exception that the, the citizen developer is doing all the work by himself, but it's citizen developer in the context that they are participating, they are an active participant in the act of creating digital uh, systems with very short feedback loops. In that sense, we're doing both. We're not for one or for the other. We are for, to make the organization a hundred times faster and do whatever we have to do uh, to make that happen. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, Carlos, thanks I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, to have answered your question, Carlos. Thanks for raising it up. Uh, that's great. Uh, time flies. It's already 50 minutes we're in. Uh, it's okay. always uh, fascinating how time flies. Uh, I think we, we could dive into two areas and I want to let you choose uh, here, Gonzalo, where you feel the most comfortable. Either we go into the AI and uh, how big it can be as an opportunity for your business, or uh, we can deep dive a little bit more uh, into everything we discussed now and especially the competition. What, uh, what um, do you feel is the best theme uh, to So to... Com Comfort is clearly overrated. So let's go with competition. <laughs> all right, all right. So who has your best competitor today? Like, uh, I think we can think of a, about the company like UiPath, who is helping companies automatize workflow over existing apps. But how do you see yourself positioning here? It's so interesting because uh, what, what it, it, this is a very interesting product management question as well. The, how you choose and how you define your competitive set is dramatically going to change your view of the world, right? And if you look into this vision that I've been sort of on my soapbox here trying to say, you know, we're about 100x productivity, that means we're essentially up against a lot of different forces. We're essentially against the, the low-code space. Uh, we have a bunch of companies. We, we were one of the originals, I would guess, but we weren't alone. And those companies still exist. Those companies are still thriving, and they have a similar value proposition to, to us. So we've, we also... I encounter them a lot of the times in what you would call pure low-code plays. The other thing that's interesting is we have um, significant sort of players and platform players that are now launching low-code offers. And what they're doing is, let me give this low-code thing a try on top of my existing platform, Salesforce is an example, so that people can use my existing platform and do things on my platform faster. So that's another example. If you think about this 100x productivity, then um, um, RPA, robots, are a critical competitor, right? What we see in reality is that RPA is not so much a, uh, um, not so much a competitor, but a really good, strong complement. Because what RPA does is it is fantastic if you don't want to change the underlying systems. If you have like three or four systems, I can't touch this. This is like a complete mess. I'm going to automate this. That's fine. The moment you start thinking really about productivity and change and how I need to redesign my system, RPA is not going to help you with that. What's going to help you with that is a highly productive technology. So you can, you can do that. You, you can completely redesign those systems, those interfaces, things like that. So 
Well, in RPA, in RPA's case, a lot of the times what we see is we come into customers, they already have an RPA practice because RPAs are awesome at lead time to first value, really showing value very, very quickly. And what we end up doing with RPA is we use RPAs as an extension point, either to get data or to give data back. So we play very well together. If you think through the customer lens, what is that they're trying to solve? They can actually deploy the two technologies to maximize the outcomes and slowly but surely removing pieces of those RPAs and moving them into a more robust local platform. There will always be robots for other things in this, you know, Fortune 500 company can have a thousand robots for small things and it's still gonna be, it's gonna, it's gonna be uh, enough. And, and finally, you know, we're competing against traditional coding in a way. Right? We're competing against people that are building enterprise-grade mission-critical systems. So if you're doing that, in a way, we're already in, the, in, in, in that competition. We're being brought in as a viable alternative to build home banking systems or building systems. Or It's like crazy. So it's, it's very interesting because we play in all, these, in all these spaces, and we have strengths and weaknesses, of course, in all of them. But uh, this idea that you get again an entire company operating on one platform to solve all of these different use cases is both fascinating and frightening from a product management perspective, because there are so many avenues for value for customers, but it's, it's a hard problem to grasp from a product management perspective. But yeah, so that's how we define competition these days. It's not just low code, not just no code or RPA. It's a combination of how companies are digitizing and automating their work. Do you see a play? Maybe I'm uh, not educative enough in the space. You mentioned something super interesting to me, which is, hey, Salesforce uh, need to have their own platform to uh, bring more business apps on top of their core platform. Do you see a play where our system is the white label uh, platform powering Salesforce? So I can't comment on that directly, but uh, I will say that it is, I, I can see you are a trained product manager. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> It is a natural, it's a natural go-to-market strategy to say, hey, we, our core competence is to build fantastic um, low-code experiences, if you will. Your core competence is to understand the problem space in CRM or customer records or, and you know, you don't want to go here. We don't want to go there. Maybe there is a great way for us to do this together, right? Um, and, uh, and for sure, I mean, a lot of our customers already do that on their own. Uh, we, like, I think we learn a lot from customers, right? And a lot of our customers, they buy out systems to not have to customize or modify their systems of record. If you have an, a core ERP, just leave it as it is, do very small parameterization, and then use a platform such as OutSystems to build anything that's unique and custom. So do that, uh, otherwise you're gonna be in, in, in hell in a few years, right? So, uh, yeah, so that's already happening you. organically. I can recognize that see a play where someone reinvents Jira on our system and uh, makes a, a 10x version of Jira. So yeah, let's fix it. Yeah, <laughs> good, good, good luck on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, maybe on a on a more personal note, uh, Gonzalo. So what 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 do you do uh, apart from your your job? Well, how do you take a break from all this responsibility? Wow, that's uh, um, I will be I will be radically honest. I mean, at the stage in which we at, we at what we are as a company, I don't get a lot of free time, but that's okay. That is a choice that I've made. I'm responsible for it. I have a lot of fun. I spend most of my free time non-out systems. 
is typically around with my close family, my daughter, my 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 really close family. I try to spend as much possible time with them as as, as I can. And because I'm always switching jobs, my free time is also on educating me on whatever is next. So my my evenings today uh, nowadays are spending reading about product management. <laughs> and um, and you know I, I should go back. I should you know I just clarify something we said an hour ago. I am a newbie product manager, but I'm not. An, I don't think of myself as, as a newbie leader. And a lot of what needs to happen is you need to work from first principles, get the basics right. Because I have a really good set of product managers, and if you push people to do the right thing here, what's the vision? Let's document it. Let's go to the next level. I don't need to be the best product manager in the house, right? I, I have those already. We need to be the best leader, the best, make the best team, influence the right way, communicate the right way, and the rest of it is going to happen. And you know, I want to learn as much as possible, but I don't see myself as becoming like the fa fantastic product manager that knows how to do all the nuances of product management. That that was not my route to this job. Uh, so I bring different things. It's an interesting thought as well. If you're, you know, if somebody in the audience is thinking about their career, mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily need to go to a functional role to get a leadership role into a, a certain position. It's your position yeah, as well. Sorry, just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, it's, it's speaking about your your leadership position. Um, one one of the questions that um, that I like to just you know and feel feel free to, to share it or not share it. But um, ha, as a leader, uh, what's do you have any story of something you you did that didn't go as you planned originally? Um, and that you regret it. It's not such a great story that you might want to share either on the product, um, on on your on your product role or uh, previous role, and how. And and since you have not been fired from out systems, I think that that's <laughs> at least <laughs> didn't have didn't have any critical. It was not a critical mistake. But uh, sometimes <laughs> it could have been, and and maybe the the CEO and whoever was managing you at the time was just super nice with you. But is is there any leadership story you wanna you wanna tell us before before you go? Um, I one of the things that I've been coaching myself over the next of the, the last few years is on to how do you, how do you how do you make things that you know are the right choices but are very very difficult to execute on because they are emotionally difficult early early on or, or as fast as possible so you recognize the signals but you then rationalize oh i shouldn't do this now and you know and whatever so i have i had a recent situation uh, where you, you mentioned firing you know this is always a hard thing where the signs were there for somebody that uh, just wasn't a good fit culturally, and I let it go for too long. It wasn't a critical situation, but all, but if you let it go for too long, and if you coach the person and the person doesn't respond, and and but if you let it go because it's you no, know, this person is so difficult, you're gonna have to let it go. It's very very hard. What ends up happening is you you reduce the trust of the network around that person and in yourself and that has very long lasting effects and i i think i took too long and uh, to 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 move decisively and and to you know to just remove this person from from the business it was good for the person it was good for the company it was good for the team and i took too long because i didn't want to go through the difficult conversation and i had done you know firing people before it, it was more natural situations but this specific 
I took, you know, six, it, was, it took me six more months than it should have. And the team suffered. And I think back to that very, very often as, you know, it, it's, it, you, you have failed your, your responsibility as a leader if you have not acted on something that you, you really knew that, uh, that was not working right, just because you didn't want to go through the difficult conversation. That's my my most recent example of that. You're also managing a distributed team in, in Portugal and in in the US, and I guess yes. to other locations, right? How is that unfolding right now? Because cultures, you know, like you said in the beginning of this conversation, culture is 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 you know is eating strategy for breakfast, as they say, and it's it's really one of the the hardest points anywhere. So. Um, how is it to deal with uh, with those cultures, specifically with American uh, culture, which is, I, I guess, more confrontational, more direct, and and quite different from from European, specifically Portuguese one. That's a good point. Um, so we b- before COVID, we were struggling with something basic, which was we had sort of two hubs: people in the US, people in Portugal. And the natural tendency was for the like the office hub in Lisbon to have sort of a viewpoint and people would do that, the, the, the dynamics would play out and it would be hard to hear from our American colleagues. With COVID and going remote and investing on going remote, written communication, async mechanisms, um, less meetings as much as possible, you start to hearing more and understanding more and connecting more with our American colleagues. And it's, it, 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 it really becomes, uh, a fantastic capability to sort of mix that American ingenuity, courage, ability to just get things done and not to sort of to see things at scale. Americans see things at scale naturally. And that is something all of us have to learn more. It's like you have to scale. You can't be you, you, you have to be courageous about uh, how to scale. But we are seeing we're seeing a great, a great interplay. So I'll give you another example. It's a personal example. We have a new, C, a new CTO. Our new CTO is an American uh, and he's my peer. And, uh, and I love the guy. And, I, and, and he comes in, he's courageous, wants to get things done, wants to move fast, but then also gets the thoughtful sort of approach from Europeans, respects that, has managed teams across time zones. And I think that combination of thoughtfulness, family, you know, our sports team connection that we have, and that you know, gung-ho attitude that Americans have is actually fantastic. For us, it works quite, quite nicely. Um, and, and the feedback I get from them is the same. I mean, a lot of the times our American colleagues say, come and say, look, I have never worked in a company where people are so collaborative and just open and frankly smart. And, and it's all, I guess it's a lot, a lot about how we Europeans work. Um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's been a good experience. It's been a really good experience, I, I should say. All right. So, are you familiar with the Pepsi challenge? Do you remember the Pepsi? Uh, is it the one where they were, you know, yeah. you, you do like a blind test? Exactly. <laughs> Pepsi against okay. Coke, usually, right? Um, yes. And f- so the question is, for when a Pepsi challenge of out systems versus X? <laughs> we actually did that already, like I don't know, did, 15 right? years ago. We did it 15 years ago, probably when we first spoke to you. I remember doing that in the first two years when I was in the company. And, um, and it's, it's, uh, it was an interesting example. But it, you're right. I mean, as we go forward, one of the things we're considering is it, we have to keep ourselves honest. So we're, we're looking for partners that, allow, that can 
with very little uh, perverse incentives run these act claim or debuke debunk the the this 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 uh, idea that we're putting forward of being a hundred times more productive so yeah i mean and uh, uh, that challenge I, th I think would happen against a multitude of different technologies for a multitude of different problems so we'll be good maybe we'll do I, yeah that's a good that's a good I, i'm gonna go back to our cmo and, and tell them hey let's do one a month next next yeah, year i, I would definitely watch versus... the youtube channel where every month there is a art system versus x exactly exactly <laughs> we, like, we, I, we like two people side by side like, in a in exact <laughs> a really like blend a challenge fun. you know like a, <laughs> well, let's put it challenge. on the bench exactly, exactly. Yeah. no that's Beautiful a great idea Andre. thank you you are sort of uh i can see your uh your marketing chops are showing here uh yes absolutely <laughs> well, well we'll do that yeah, it's it's hard to sell a conference right uh especially on <laughs> so, so much competition that's actually one of the things that happen now with COVID is this explosion of online events and a uh, cost of yeah. opportunity of people is time is really the most important asset, right? People, uh, when they go to a in-person conference, they, they hop on a plane, they go to a city and they, you know, they don't compute the two days that they're spending there has wasted time because there's so much in, uh, when, when you're going to a four hour, six hour online events, those hours, they're coming out of your billable hours or whatever it is. So people compute much, much, much better. Um, okay. And they understand the, the, the real uh, opportunity cost. But anyways, I mean, we're super lucky to have you here today. Thank you again for taking the time to be here with us today, Gonzalo. No problem.